We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 235 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, January 24th. 2022 and my friends we have just had maybe possibly the greatest weekend of the NFL playoffs ever I know that we are prone to hyperbole I know that we can be prisoners of the moment but seriously as the great Vern Lundquist said at the 2005 Masters in your life have you ever seen an NFL playoff weekend like the one that we just had? In your life, have you seen anything like that? Yes, Vern. In your life, have you ever seen an NFL postseason round like the one that we all just witnessed? The divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs goes down as an all-timer. Four games each featured the game-winning score on the final play of the game. We had three walk-off field goals in regulation and a walk-off touchdown in overtime. We had three road teams winning. We had absolute insanity in the fourth quarters of the two Sunday games. We had maybe, possibly, the final game in the career of the greatest football player ever in the career of the GOAT. Tom Brady. We had Matthew Stafford proving his worth as a franchise quarterback with major clutch throws to receiver Cooper Cup to rally the Los Angeles Rams past Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers off the Rams blowing a 27-3 third quarter lead. Do you maybe now wish that the Washington football team had offered a bit more for Matthew Stafford last offseason? And then we had one of the greatest quarterback duels in NFL history between the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, and the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen. How do you not love what we all just saw as NFL fans? In your life, have you ever seen an NFL postseason round like that one? In your life, have you seen anything like that? Yes, thank you, Vern. And how, if you're a Washington football team fan like me, are you not insanely jealous of everything that we all just saw. Hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We are here, we are together again, and we have a lot to talk about. Next segment, I'll give you my biggest takeaways 
from divisional round weekend from a Washington football team perspective, especially regarding the quarterbacks, with Washington being a franchise quarterback needy team, including is Jimmy Garoppolo going to even be available this offseason off his San Francisco 49ers winning at the Green Bay Packers on Saturday night? And what about the losing quarterback in that game? What about Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I know him wanting to leave Green Bay for Washington seems as far-fetched as anything in the history of things being far-fetched. But if you're Washington, do you not at least have to try? Do you not at least have to make the attempt to try to bring A-Rod to D.C.? Uh, also, I will talk about an undeniable reality from the two Saturday games from Divisional Round Weekend. That reality being special teams proving to be a big deal. And in the case of the Packers, special teams were not so special. Additionally, we have a lot to get to regarding the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. I'll talk Capitals off a 3-2 overtime win over the Ottawa Senators at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night. A game that featured the two best players in Caps history being the heroes, Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. I'll talk Wizards off a bad weekend for them, a 109-105 loss to the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena on Friday night, and a humiliating 116-87 loss to the Boston Celtics at Capital One Arena on Sunday. I think Jason Tatum just hit another three. Uh, I'll also talk college basketball. Maryland did win on Friday night. Terrapins beat number 17, Illinois, at Xfinity Center in College Park. That was good to see, but Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all lost on Saturday. And even with that Terps win, uh, there is at least uh, somewhat of an asterisk that goes by that victory as Illinois was without its star center, Kofi Cockburn. I tell you, this is not a great season for college hoops in the area. Uh, the Terps, even with the win over Illinois, are just 2-6 and six in the Big Ten. The Hoyas are 0-5 in the Big East for the first time ever. The Cavaliers are struggling defensively, and the Hokies are just 2-5 and five in the ACC not good. Uh, you can tweet me. That is good. At Al Galdi. You can email me. That's also good. The Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to reach thousands of listeners every day, if you would like supreme bang for your buck, hit us up. Let us know. You can email us. Again, the address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Luke Archer on two potential quarterback targets for the Washington football team this offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo and Aaron Rodgers off Garoppolo's 49ers winning at Rodgers Packers on Saturday night. Writes Luke, even though Garoppolo's stat line didn't look good in the divisional game, you can't really blame him. His receivers were guilty of many drops. The interception he threw was definitely his fault, though. It was not a good throw. If Washington couldn't get someone like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or Deshaun Watson, I think Jimmy G could be an all right option. Also, the fact that the Packers lost in the divisional round could raise the chance of Aaron Rodgers wanting to leave Green Bay. Rodgers has been wanting to win a Super Bowl, not lose in the playoffs. This doesn't mean that he would want to go to Washington, but it raises the chance a little bit. I still think that the best strategy for Washington this offseason is to try to acquire an elite veteran quarterback, and if that isn't possible, then Washington could get Jimmy G or Mitch Trubisky and draft a quarterback so that Washington has two options. Uh, thank you for the email, Luke. Don't forget Taylor Heineke. Don't forget Tay-Tay. All right, Tay-Tay is an option, and I'm in no way convinced that Tay-Tay isn't a better option than Trubisky. I'm with you on Jimmy G. I am intrigued 
with Jimmy G, but I have no delusions about what Jimmy G is and isn't. He is not an elite quarterback. He is an oft-injured quarterback, and you absolutely have to wonder why the 49ers made the big trade-up in the 2021 NFL Draft to take a quarterback if Garoppolo is all that. I mean, Garoppolo got the 49ers to a Super Bowl, and yet they less than two years later made the massive trade-up in an NFL draft to take another quarterback. What does that tell you? going to be really interesting to see how the Niners handle Garoppolo this offseason. I'm going to talk about that and Aaron Rodgers coming up next segment. Email from William Carter on the Washington football team's stadium situation. Writes William, I have never written into your show, but I felt inspired after reading the Yahoo Sports headline, Washington football team's discussions with Virginia for new stadium are very serious. Could this be the year that the Danny finally has a losing offseason? If the team moves to Virginia, what would it take to bring another team to D.C. slash Maryland? The NFL is popular enough. The area is populated enough to support two NFL teams, and billionaires have only gotten richer during the pandemic. This might have been unthinkable in the past, but under Daniel Snyder's disastrous ownership that has produced an inferior product decade in and decade out, this town is ready. Daniel Snyder gave this team a bad name before there was ever a name change. Love your show. Uh, Thank you for that, William. Yes, there has been a lot of stuff out there lately about momentum potentially building for Washington's next stadium to be in Virginia. Where exactly remains up in the air, though we are hearing more and more about Loudoun County, uh, even Prince William County. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on any deal for new Washington Stadium being reached anytime soon. A, because how the stadium is paid for is a massive issue. Who pays how much is a very big deal because taxpayer money being used to build a stadium for Dan Snyder uh, isn't exactly a winning platform for a politician right now. B, there's the issue of paying for the stadium. There's also the issue of paying for the land on which the stadium would be built. That's another major issue. C, there's the issue of transportation to and from the stadium. The issue of traffic is a huge issue that needs to be figured out to at least some extent before any stadium deal would be reached. But as unlikely as a new stadium deal being reached anytime soon seems to be, even less likely is the NFL at some point giving this area another NFL team. Uh, No way is that going to be happening, Uh, at least not as far as things appear to be right now. Dan Snyder would throw a fit and probably sue the league if the league tried to bring another NFL team to the Washington, D.C. area. The argument would be, hey, this area isn't properly supporting Washington, so why would the area properly support another team? And the argument would be that the area already has a second NFL team in the Baltimore Ravens, even though you and I know that Washington, D.C. and Baltimore are two separate markets. Now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't love to have another NFL team in this area, but no. Uh, that's probably not going to be happening. You never say never, but another NFL team in this area, uh, not very likely. Oh, Danny would be on the phone with his lawyers 24-7 if the NFL wanted to put another team in this area. Well, a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged is Paulson and Nace. Uh, Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. As we like to say, if you have a case contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace 
fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace is a D.C.-based family law firm. The Naces are big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Paulson and Nace will stand up for you. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. The Naces are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Look, when you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? Where do you even start? It's simple, okay? Here's the clarity that you need. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 202- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, how do you make sense of what we just saw in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs? How do you process what we all just witnessed? An incredible weekend of NFL playoff football. One game was better than the next. It was funny. We had the first three games, right? The Cincinnati Bengals 19-16 win at the Tennessee Titans on Saturday. The San Francisco 49ers 13-10 win at the Green Bay Packers on Saturday night. And the Los Angeles Rams 30-27 win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday, each game ending on a walk-off field goal. Uh, the Rams win at the Bucks, featuring an insane fourth quarter with about a million turning points as the Rams blew a 27-3 third quarter lead, but ended up winning the game. And then we all said to ourselves, oh yeah, we still have the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. Uh, we still have maybe slash probably the most anticipated game of the weekend, certainly from a quarterback standpoint in Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. But you also perhaps said to yourself, all right, is this game really going to live up to these first three games of the divisional round? Is this game really going to live up to expectations? And of course, what ended up happening was that the game ended up blowing away expectations. We got the best last. The game ended up being an all-time classic. Chiefs 42, Bills 36 in overtime. The final two minutes of regulation of this game should be remembered forever, okay? Uh, The final two minutes of the fourth quarter of this game featured a Josh Allen 4th and 13, 27-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Gabriel Davis, who was wide open in the end zone with 154 left in the fourth quarter. Allen then connected with receiver, and yes, Maryland product, Stephon Diggs for a two-point conversion on a broken play. We then got a Patrick Mahomes second and 10, 64-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Tyree Kill with 102 left in the fourth quarter as he'll generated about 50 yards of yak 
for the touchdown. We then got a Josh Allen first and 10, 19-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Gabriel Davis with 13 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Davis finished with eight receptions for 201 yards and four touchdowns on 10 targets. We then got the game-tying 49-yard field goal by Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker as time expired in the fourth quarter. Just incredible. Just the final two minutes of regulation of this game were spectacular. But the game, as much as anything, right, was another testament to the value of, yes, quarterback in today's NFL. Now, look, you had a crystal clear example over the weekend of how having the better quarterback, of how, in fact, having an all-time great quarterback doesn't guarantee you anything. The Jimmy Garoppolo quarterbacked 49ers winning at the Aaron Rodgers quarterback Packers on Saturday night is an example of if your quarterback play is decent enough and you have other things going for you, you can do well, really well. I mean, Garoppolo is in an NFC championship game for a second time in three seasons. However, I think we all would agree you are much better off if you have a true stud franchise quarterback. I mean, would you rather move forward with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, or would you rather move forward with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback? I mean, look at the Bengals win at the Titans. The Bengals won that game despite Joe Burrow getting sacked an insane nine times. Why? Because he's a stud franchise quarterback, and Ryan Tannehill is not. You know, Ryan Tannehill is decent. Ryan Tannehill has actually been pretty good over the last few seasons, but Ryan Tannehill on Saturday threw three interceptions. Chiefs Bills on Sunday night goes down as one of the best quarterbacked games in NFL history. Heck, maybe the best. Patrick Mahomes went 33 of 44 for 378 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He was sacked just twice, and he had seven carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. Josh Allen went 27 of 37 for 329 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. He was sacked just twice, and he had 11 carries for 68 yards. The game is the first NFL postseason game ever in which two quarterbacks each threw for at least 300 yards, each had at least three touchdown passes, and each threw no interceptions. The game is the first NFL postseason game ever in which two quarterbacks each had completion percentages of at least 70 on a minimum of 35 pass attempts each. And the game was a game in which each team's leading rusher was a quarterback. In this Washington football team offseason, in which our team, the Washington football team, is as focused as ever on getting a franchise quarterback, We on Sunday night had maybe the ultimate game in terms of displaying the value of the franchise quarterback because we had two franchise quarterbacks, two of the best franchise quarterbacks in the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen going at it in a five-star classic. Now, in terms of Washington's search for a franchise quarterback, the 49ers win at the Packers on Saturday night was the game from the weekend with the most implications. First of all, you do now have to at least start to wonder about the availability of Jimmy Garoppolo 
this offseason. Now, I know that some of you want nothing to do with Garoppolo. You want Washington to have nothing to do with Jimmy G. And I hear you on that. And I have my concerns with Jimmy Garoppolo as well. And they are major concerns. Number one, he has not been durable. Number two, you have to ask why the 49ers made the big trade-up in the 2021 NFL Draft to take a quarterback who ended up being Trey Lance when the Niners already had Garoppolo. However, Garoppolo has had a very good 2021 season. Like, if you're being objective, Jimmy Garoppolo has had a very good 2021 season, and he now has the 49ers in an NFC Championship game for a second time in three seasons. He was far from great on Saturday night, no doubt. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a stud franchise quarterback, but to me, he is worth a look from Washington this offseason. Although, again, I'm not sure now if he'll even be available this offseason. It may be that the 49ers keep Garoppolo for the final season of his contract, at the very least, as Trey Lance insurance. But understand about Garoppolo, he was very good during the 2021 regular season. Jimmy Garoppolo finished the 2021 regular season number one among qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per completion at 12.66. Number two among qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt at 8.64. Number six among qualified NFL quarterbacks in completion percentage at 68.3. Number 13 among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR. That's a really nice regular season, and it came despite Garoppolo knowing that his head coach, Kyle Shanahan, ultimately wanted someone else as the 49ers starting quarterback. And now this postseason, Garoppolo has quarterbacked the 49ers to two big road wins, 23-17 at the Dallas Cowboys in the wildcard round, 13-10 at the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round. However, Garoppolo over these two games this postseason uh, hasn't exactly set the world on fire, okay? I mean, Garoppolo over these two games has got a combined 27 of 44 for just 303 yards. That works out to just 6.89 yards per pass attempt. He has not thrown any touchdown passes this postseason. He has thrown two interceptions this postseason to say nothing of plenty of other interceptable passes. Jimmy Garoppolo is not great, but he's not terrible. And I do wonder if he'll even be available this offseason now. You know, do we have to cross Jimmy Garoppolo off the list of potentially available veteran quarterbacks for our franchise quarterback needy Washington football team this offseason? The 2022 season is set to be the final season of a five-year, $137.5 million contract extension that Garoppolo signed with the 49ers in February 2018. His salary cap hit for the 2022 season is set to be $27 million. And then there is Aaron Rodgers. Look, do I think that there's a legitimate chance that Aaron Rodgers would want to come to Washington? No. I mean, you have two mega hurdles regarding a potential pursuit of Aaron Rodgers by Washington. A, he needs to want to leave the Packers. B, He needs to want to come to Washington. A is tricky enough. B may be impossible. However, I will say this. If the improbable, if not impossible, was going to happen, if Aaron Rodgers was going to leave Green Bay for Washington, that scenario would include what happened on Saturday night and what happened on Saturday night was yet another postseason fail for Rodgers and the Packers. 
The Packers were the number one seed in the NFC for the 2022 NFL playoffs, and yet the Packers were one and done in the 2022 NFL playoffs. Green Bay losing at home to the 49ers 13-10 in the divisional round on Saturday night. Yes, the game time temperature was a mere 14 degrees, and yes, there was some snow at Lambeau Field, but that point total of 10 points by the Packers, to me, totally unacceptable. Given that the 49ers secondary was depleted, okay, the Niners were without two key corners in Ambry Thomas and Diamador Lenore. Uh, those guys were inactive for the game due to injury. And, you know, going back to the wild card round the previous weekend, I look at the Bills' 47-17 blowout of the New England Patriots, and I'm like, you know what? The Bills put on a passing game clinic in that game, despite the game time temperature having been just 7 degrees, and also despite the Patriots having had a really good pass defense this season. The Pats finished a 2021 regular season number 3 in the NFL in pass defense for a football outsider's DVOA metric, and yet the Bills in that game put up 47 points. Josh Allen in that game put up numbers that were nuclear, 21 to 25 for 308 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took no sacks. He had six carries for 66 yards. So if the Bills could do that to the Pats in a game with a game time temperature of just seven degrees, why couldn't the Packers have done better than 10 points against the 49ers this past Saturday night? Game time temperature was warmer at 14 degrees. You had Aaron Rodgers. You were facing a 49ers team with a depleted secondary. So to me, uh, this was a real fail by the Packers on Saturday night. And look, Aaron Rodgers was a part of that. But this Packers home loss to the 49ers in the divisional round over the weekend does mark yet another failure for the Packers in a postseason in the Aaron Rodgers era, period. You know, the Packers won the Super Bowl for the 2010 season, but that remains the only Super Bowl appearance for the Packers in the Aaron Rodgers era. Aaron Rodgers became the Packers franchise quarterback beginning with the 2008 season. So he now has been the Packers franchise quarterback for 14 seasons, 2008 through 2021. And yet the Packers over those 14 seasons have just the one Super Bowl title and just the one Super Bowl appearance. Now look, one Super Bowl title is better than zero Super Bowl titles. That is true. But to me, 14 seasons with Aaron Rodgers as your franchise quarterback and all you have to show for those 14 seasons is the one Super Bowl appearance, which, yes, did result in a Super Bowl title. I mean, to me, the Packers should have accomplished more, much more, during the Aaron Rodgers era. The Packers are just 1-4 in in NFC Championship games with Aaron Rodgers as a team's franchise quarterback. The Packers, again, won the Super Bowl for the 2010 season, but the Packers have lost each of their next four NFC Championship games, those for the 2014, 2016, 2019, and 2020 seasons. I mean, this to me is not unlike what went down with the New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees. The Saints had Brees as their franchise quarterback over 15 seasons, 2006 through 2020, with the same head coach too in Sean Payton for all of those seasons. And yet the Saints won just one Super Bowl. That for the 2009 season, uh, made it to just that one Super Bowl and went 0-2 in two other NFC Championship games, those for the 2006 and 2018 seasons. Now again, one Super Bowl title is better than zero Super Bowl titles, but again, to me, 
the Saints with Breeze, like the Packers with Rodgers, should have done more. And maybe the Packers will do more with Rodgers. We'll see. We all know, though, about the drama between Rodgers and the Packers. The drama started, at least publicly, after the Packers' postseason fail last postseason, that 31-26 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game. Rodgers, after that game, very cryptically said, quote, the Packers have a lot of guys' futures that are uncertain, myself included. That's what's sad about it most getting this far. Obviously, it's going to be an end at some point, whether we make it past this one or not, but just the uncertainties, tough, and finality of it all. And quote, very cryptic comments. You know, people were like, wait a second, what is he talking about? His future's uncertain. Well, We've had a whole lot come up between Rodgers and the Packers over the last year. We don't need to rehash everything. But to me, an interesting note from the weekend was this. Aaron Rodgers, during his postgame press conference on Saturday night, at least to me, did not sound like someone who is dead set on leaving the Packers. To me, he sounded much better than he sounded after the Packers' postseason loss last postseason. Uh, Here was Rodgers on Saturday night on where his future stands. Take a listen. I mean, I did not think we'd be talking about this after this game, but right. Uh, you know, I'm gonna take some time and and uh, have conversations with the folks around here, and then take some time away and make a decision. Um, obviously, before free agency or anything kind of gets going on that front, but you know, it's it's fresh right now. It's it's. You know, a little shocking for sure. Definitely haven't, you know, was hoping to have, you know, a nice week after the NFC Championship to enjoy the lead up and, and then start contemplating some things. So I haven't even, haven't even uh, let the moment really sink in yet. All right. So Aaron Rodgers on Saturday night certainly didn't commit to staying with the Packers, but he also sounded like someone who is more than open to staying with the Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers is high maintenance. Okay. Nothing is easy with him, but his best chance at another Super Bowl title would seem to be with the Packers. However, if you're Washington and there's any chance, any chance that you can get Rodgers, you have to try. And this actually is where the old Dan Snyder, the Dan Snyder of the 2000s, the free-spending, recklessly acquiring veterans, Dan Snyder, the Deion Sanders signing, Dan Snyder, the Bruce Smith signing, Dan Snyder, the Albert Hainsworth signing, Dan Snyder, could actually be of service to Washington. Not that Aaron Rodgers is set to be a free agent this offseason. He isn't. He's under contract through the 2023 season, but if there is a way to communicate to Rodgers how he can name his price, name his circumstance, and Washington will match those things, Denny Boy needs to go back to being OG Dan Snyder and put the full court press on here. You know, get to communicating these things to Aaron Rodgers in some way. Remember, too, we have the Cal connection. Ron Rivera went to Cal Aaron Rodgers went to Cal. Washington does have a very good offensive line. Washington does have Terry McLaurin. Washington does have a ton of salary cap space. Uh, Washington does play in a very winnable division in the NFC East. Look, I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers uh, is going to want to come to Washington, okay? I'm not saying that getting Rodgers to want to come to Washington is likely. It isn't. But if you're Washington, 
you gotta at least try. And that's the point here. If you're Washington, you have to at least try if, in fact, Rodgers is open to leaving the Packers. And if Rodgers doesn't want to come to Washington, and he almost certainly won't want to come to Washington, then you got to hope that he wants to go somewhere else. Because there could be a domino effect that could be of service to Washington. If Aaron Rodgers, say, was traded to the Denver Broncos, uh, that would remove the Broncos from the quarterback market this offseason and would make for one less team with which Washington would be competing in the quarterback market this offseason. If Rodgers, say, was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, that would make, right, Derek Carr available. And perhaps Washington could then get Carr. Personally, I think that Rodgers is going to end up staying with the Packers. But again, if you're Washington, you got to be thinking about and planning for every possibility. Because, as we saw in Chiefs-Bills on Sunday night, having a stud franchise quarterback is everything. Up next, more on the NFL's divisional round weekend through a Washington football team prism. I will talk special teams. Yes, special teams. The two Saturday games, very much influenced by special teams. Some things to be thinking about with that from a Washington perspective. I'll get to that after this. All right, guys, I want to tell you about something special, a great, easy, and affordable way to have your meals HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit and HelloFresh is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier, uh, you want to eat food that tastes great and you don't have the time to be making trips to buy food and coming up with complicated recipes, try HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. HelloFresh offers flexibility with which you can customize your order. I customized my order by going with a HelloFresh box that was heavy on meat. I wanted that protein, brother. Uh, yes, you can indulge with HelloFresh as well. You can satisfy your sweet tooth with desserts like Dunkaroo's Cookie Dough and Vanilla Delight Cheesecake. And HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yes, free food, free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, something else from the NFL's divisional round weekend as it relates to the Washington football team that I want to get into with you is special teams. Yes, those teams on a team that are special. Uh, you can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ken. How important are special teams? The NFL playoffs so far seem to establish special teams as really special. Best regards and love your podcast. Well, thank you for that, Ken. Well, the two Saturday games from Divisional Round Weekend certainly were notable from a special teams standpoint. Uh, first of all, the Green Bay Packers special teams disaster in the divisional round. Uh, the Packers, right? The number one seed in the NFC for the 2022 NFL playoffs, losing at home to the San Francisco 49ers 13-10 in the divisional round on Saturday night. Points, of course, were at a premium for this game, for which the game time temperature was just 14 degrees and there was some snow. And what ultimately loomed larger than maybe anything was just how bad the Packers were on special teams in the game. A 39-yard field goal attempt by Packers kicker Mason Crosby was blocked on the final snap of the first half. A fourth-quarter punt by Packers punter Corey Bohorquez was blocked and returned six yards for a touchdown. The ensuing extra point tied the game at 10. And the Packers had just 10 men on the field for 49ers kicker Robbie Gold's game-winning 45-yard field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter. Uh, that field goal, by the way, concluded the first day in NFL postseason history with multiple game-winning field goals as time expired in regulation and ended up being part of the first postseason round in NFL history with four games, each featuring a game-winning score on the final play. Uh, but Packers special teams on Saturday night were atrocious, although if you have followed the Packers this season, you weren't necessarily surprised that Packers special teams on Saturday night were atrocious. The Packers for the 2021 regular season were dead last in the NFL in overall special teams DVOA for football outsiders. Yes, no team was worse in the NFL during the 2021 regular season than the Packers in terms of overall special teams efficiency. In case you're curious, Washington 
for the 2021 regular season. It was number 12 in the NFL in overall special teams DVOA. I mean, to me, it's too simplistic to say that special teams cost the Packers the game on Saturday night. The Packers' lackluster offense cost the Packers the game on Saturday night more than special teams did, but special teams certainly were a major factor in the Packers losing that game on Saturday night. I've talked about this before. Special teams are not a third of an NFL game, contrary to what some people say, okay? Uh, Special teams are more like a sixth of an NFL game. Like, over the course of a season, only about a sixth of a team snaps our special team snaps, okay? So this whole thing of like special teams are a third of an NFL game, they're not, all right? I mean, that, that that's just fake news. It's something that people have said for years. It's not true. Special teams are more like a sixth of an NFL game, not a third. And it's interesting. You can look at any team and you'll find this to be the case. Like take Washington. Washington in the 2021 regular season had a total of 1,127 offensive snaps, 1,107 defensive snaps, and 438 special team snaps. So special team snaps for Washington in the 2021 regular season made up 16.39% of Washington's overall snaps. Washington for the 2021 regular season totaled 2,672 snaps. 438 of the 2,672 snaps were special team snaps. Again, 16 Again, special teams are about a sixth of an NFL game, not a third. That said, special teams do matter. Like, just because something isn't as prevalent as some people like to make it out to be doesn't mean that that thing doesn't matter. And special teams do matter, and they very much mattered to the Packers on Saturday night. Also from Saturday, Evan McPherson. How about this guy? Evan McPherson. He is cocky, but he is clutch. So Evan McPherson, he is the rookie kicker for the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals took McPherson in the fifth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Florida. Now, taking a kicker or any special team specialist is a big no-no in NFL drafts, let alone spending a fifth round pick on a special team specialist. I mean, a fifth round pick is not a nothing pick. Um, You know, I am not a fan of taking special team specialists in NFL drafts. To me, you find these guys on the waiver wire. You find these guys as free agents. I still am not a fan of Washington having spent a sixth-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft on a long snapper, on the Cheeseman, Cameron Cheeseman of Michigan. Remember, Washington, in fact, traded for that pick. Washington, on day three of the 2021 NFL draft, this past May 1st, traded a 2022 fifth-round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles for one of their 2021 sixth-round picks and one of the Eagles' 2021 seventh-round picks. Washington, with the team's sixth-round pick in the 2021 draft, acquired via trade with the Eagles, took Michigan long snapper Cameron Cheeseman. I'm still not a fan of that. To me, you don't spend even a sixth-round pick on something like a long snapper. You find a long snapper off the waiver wire as a free agent. These guys can be found pretty much anywhere. That said, okay, if you do need to make an argument for especially taking a kicker in an NFL draft, Evan McPherson certainly can serve as evidence for your case. Evan McPherson over 16 games in the 2021 regular season went 9 of 11 on field goals of at least 50 yards. 13 of 13 on field goals between 20 and 39 yards, and 46 of 48 on extra points. Now, he did go just 6 of 9 
on field goals between 40 and 49 yards. But McPherson's nine made field goals of at least 50 yards in the 2021 regular season were number one in the NFL. Yeah, no NFL kicker in the 2021 regular season made as many field goals of at least 50 yards as McPherson did. And over the first two rounds of this NFL postseason, Evan McPherson has been tremendous. McPherson in the Bengals' 26-19 win over the Las Vegas Raiders in the wildcard round on January 15th went 4-4 on field goals. Now, they, for the most part, were gimmies, but still, uh, the field goals were field goals of 31-30-43 and 28 yards. And McPherson in the Bengals' 19-16 win at the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round on Saturday went 4-4 on field goals. And three of the four certainly were not gimme field goals. The four field goals that McPherson made in the win at the Titans on Saturday were field goals of 38, 45, 54, and 52 yards. And the 52-yard field goal came as time expired in the fourth quarter to give the Bengals their first ever road playoff win. The Bengals had been 0-7 in road playoff games in franchise history. By the way, this was Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Evan McPherson shortly before his game-winning field goal. Take a listen to this. Oh, that guy's unbelievable. He said, so he was talking to Brandon as he was going out to kick. He gave a little warm-up swing, and he said, ah, it looks like we're going to the AFC Championship right before he went out there to kick it. And when you have a kicker, I mean, we knew exactly what we had as soon as he walked into the building in camp. And we just saw how he carried himself. You know exactly how a kicker is going to perform when obviously everyone at this level can kick through the uprights. But it's how you handle yourself in the locker room that shows us that you have the confidence to go out there and make a kick like this and perform the way he did in a game like this. And we knew exactly what kind of guy we had in camp. Yeah, it's not bragging if you back it up. And Evan McPherson has backed it up. No, you should not at all be in the habit of even considering spending draft picks on special team specialists. And no, I do not want Washington spending a draft pick on a kicker in the 2022 NFL draft. If for no other reason, by the way, than that Washington, it feels like anyway, has found itself a kicker in Joey Sly, right? I mean, Washington had a very tumultuous 2021 season at the kicker position. But if there was a positive as the season went on uh, for Washington, it was that the team did seem to finally have itself a kicker in Joey Sly who ended up being quite good for Washington. But it is hard to argue against the Bengals having spent a 2021 fifth-round pick on Evan McPherson. He has been good, and he has been clutch. We move now to the non-NFL playoff items from our Washington, D.C. Sports Weekend. For some reason, the Wizards had a game on Sunday afternoon that went head-to-head with the Los Angeles Rams 30-27 divisional round win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, That game started at 3. Wizards versus the Boston Celtics at Capital One Arena started at 3.30. Why the NBA would have a game going head-to-head with an NFL divisional round playoff game makes no sense to me. I mean, start the Wizards game at noon or at 1 or at 2. I don't get why Wizards-Celtics had to go essentially directly head-to-head with Rams Bucks. Anyway, we did have Wizards Celtics, and the game ended up being a disaster for the Wizards, uh, concluding a bad weekend for the Wizards. And what is becoming a bad season for the Wizards? Friday night, the Wizards lost 
to the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena, 109-105. Sunday, the Wizards got demolished by the Celtics at Capital One Arena, 116-87. The Wizards now are just 13-21 since their 10-3 start to the season. The Wizards on the season are a game below 500 at 23-24, just 13-21 since their 10-3 start to the season. As we get closer to the NBA trade deadline, which is coming up, uh, NBA trade deadline is on February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern, there very much is a question of, okay, should the Wizards be buyers or sellers? Like, do the Wizards need to be in acquisition mode to get themselves higher in the hierarchy of the East? Or do the Wizards need to engage in a fire sale, given that this has been a really bad team since its great start to the season, and especially considering that Bradley Beal is looking increasingly likely to not accept the Wizards' max contract extension offer and to opt out of his current contract this summer? And even if the idea is for Beal to re-sign with the Wizards via a five-year, 241 million dollar max contract. You tell me, as a Wizards fan, are you psyched to be giving Bradley Beal a five-year, $241 million deal given the season that he's having? Because I'll raise my hand and say that I'm not psyched to be giving Bradley Beal a five-year, $241 million contract. So let's look at these Wizards games from over the weekend. The 109-105 loss to the Raptors at Capital One Arena on Friday night. Uh, Kyle Kuzma did not play due to neck spasms. The Wizards also were down to their third string head coach for a third consecutive game as the usual head coach, Wes Unsell Jr., for a fourth consecutive game did not serve as Wizards head coach due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Assistant coach Pat Delaney, who had served as acting head coach for the Wizards in a 115-110 loss to the Portland Trailblazers at Capital One Arena on January 15th, was out for a third consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And so assistant coach Joseph Blair served as acting head coach for the Wizards for a third consecutive game. The Wizards in this loss to the Raptors at Capital One Arena on Friday night blew a 13-point second quarter lead. The Wizards went from leading in the second quarter 40-27 to then allowing the Raptors to go on a 68-37 run that put the Wizards down by 18 points early in the fourth quarter at 95-77. Now, the Wizards did rally. Uh, The Wizards went on a 25-7 fourth quarter run to tie the game at 102 on a Montrez Harrell dunk with 110 left in the fourth quarter off a lengthy pass from Spencer Dinwiddie to electrify the Capital One Arena crowd. Capital One Arena came alive big time in that fourth quarter on Friday night, but the Wizards then allowed the Raptors to end the game on a 7-3 run. And this 7-3 run included some ugly moments for the Wizards. So the 7-3 run included a Fred Van Vliet 26-foot right wing contested three for a 105-102 Raptors lead with 59.9 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The 7-3 run included an OG and an OB offensive rebound in the paint and put back layup while surrounded by multiple Wizards for a 107-102 Raptors lead with 20.4 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And this 7-3 run included a killer Bradley Beal step out of bounds turnover with 18.2 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And speaking of Bradley Beal and turnovers, uh, Beal, who has a history of struggling against the Raptors, their head coach Nick Nurse has come up with very good schemes for defending Beal 
struggled against the Raptors again. Beal on Friday night committed nine turnovers in 39 minutes, 32 seconds as a starter, including that aforementioned killer step out of bounds turnover with 18.2 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Yes, Bradley Beal on Friday night committed nine turnovers. The man to whom the Wizards may be on the verge of getting a five-year, $241 million contract committed nine turnovers on Friday night. Now, Beal, to his credit, during his post-game press conference, uh, pointed the finger of blame at himself. I mean, Bradley Beal, he's not a bad guy. And, and Bradley Beal will say when he's bad, yeah, I was bad, I need to be better. So I do give him credit for that. And it's not like he did nothing on Friday night. Beal on Friday night, one of three on threes, nine of 16 on twos. He finished with 25 points, eight assists, and five rebounds. So he did do some good things for the Wizards on Friday night. I do want to make that clear. But geez, nine turnovers for Beal on Friday night. Then came the 116-87 loss to the Celtics at Capital One Arena on Sunday. And this was an embarrassment, okay? This was amateur hour for the Wizards. Uh, Kyle Kuzma was back from his one-game absence caused by neck spasms. Wes Unsell Jr. was back from his four-game absence that was caused by him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. But the game was an absolute disaster for the Wizards. The Wizards never held a lead in the game. The Wizards' 29-point margin of defeat, their largest margin of defeat so far this season. The Wizards got annihilated by Jason Tatum. Take a listen to this, okay? If you were watching Rams Bucks, you may not be aware of this, but Jason Tatum on Sunday at the Wizards played for just 32 minutes, 52 seconds as a starter. And yet Jason Tatum went nine of 14 on threes and finished with 51 points, 10 rebounds and seven assists versus one turnover. Yes, the Wizards on Sunday allowed Jason Tatum to pump in 51 points, 10 rebounds, and seven assists versus one turnover in less than 33 minutes of playing time. The Wizards got embarrassed by Jason Tatum on Sunday. It's a good thing that nobody was watching this game because of Rams Bucks. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Sunday. Bad. That was a bad game. Um, tough night. Tough afternoon, rather. And it pretty much came down to the end of the second quarter. There was a four-minute stretch where they won a 16-3 run, and essentially that was the game. Coming out of third, you know, we didn't respond as well as we should have. No, you did not. Uh, the Wizards on Sunday went just 8 of 34 on threes and just 25 of 59 on twos. Three Wizard starters, Bradley Beal, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, went a combined 0 of 14 on threes. And Dinwiddie was a special kind of awful. Dinwiddie on Sunday in 26-56 as a starter, 0 of 7 on threes, just 1 of 5 on twos. He scored just four points. You know, Dinwiddie in the loss to the Raptors on Friday night was quite good. Uh, Dinwiddie in that game, five of seven on threes, one of three on twos, finished with 17 points, seven assists versus one turnover and seven rebounds. But a really rough game for Spencer Dinwiddie on Sunday. Heck, here's all that you need to know about this debacle of a game for the Wizards against the Celtics on Sunday. The Wizards got smashed despite committing just seven turnovers the entire game. Wizards took care of the basketball on Sunday, just seven turnovers the entire game, and yet the Wiz ended up losing by 29. The Wizards are not a good team. This is becoming increasingly clear. Uh, are the Wizards as bad as they looked on Sunday? No, but it's frightening to think that they're capable 
of that kind of bad. And the Wizards now are under 500 and understand the Wizards now are healthy. Like the Wizards have all of their guys and yet the Wizards still got blasted by the Celtics at home by 29 points. The Wizards have been at home for weeks now. The Wizards are in the midst of a super lengthy eight-game homestand. The Wizards are healthy and yet the Wizards got polaxed by the Celtics on Sunday. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Los Angeles Clippers. Tuesday night at 7. All right, time now to talk Capitals. Uh, They will play on Monday night, home to the Vegas Golden Knights at 7. The Golden Knights lead the Pacific Division at 50 points. Vegas hasn't played since last Thursday night uh, when the Golden Knights beat the Montreal Canadiens 4-3 in overtime. But also coming off an overtime win are our Caps. Uh, They improved to 23-10-9 with a 3-2 overtime win over the Ottawa Senators at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Caps now at 55 points on the season. You know, it's funny, the Caps had been 0-7 in overtime games this season, but the Caps now have won each of their last two overtime games. Caps had a 4-3 overtime win over the Winnipeg Jets at Capital One Arena last Tuesday night. Now, this latest Caps overtime win came over a Senators team that isn't very good. That is true, but this latest Caps overtime win also came despite the Caps continuing to be without a number of key players. The Caps on Saturday night were without three of their top defensemen. Heck, arguably the team's top three defensemen, period. Defenseman Nick Jensen did not play due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the Caps' previous game, the 4-3 loss at the Boston Bruins last Thursday night. Defenseman Dimitri Orloff did not play due to serving the second game of a two-game suspension without pay for kneeing a Winnipeg Jets player in that Caps' overtime win over the Jets at Capital One Arena last Tuesday night. And defenseman John Carlson did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. More on how the Caps did without these three defensemen in a bit, but also for the Caps on Saturday night, they were without two key forwards. A forward TJ Oshie did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on January 15th, and forward Anthony Mantha did not play as he remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. Now, the Caps did get back a forward in Connor Sheary. He returned from a four-game absence that was caused by him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. And the Caps got major production from the two greatest players in the history of the franchise. Talking, of course, about Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. First of all, Ovechkin. His Hart Trophy caliber season continues. Uh, The Caps in this game on Saturday night overcame a 2-0 third-period deficit thanks to two third-period even-strength goals by... Alex Ovechkin. Ovechkin finished the game with two goals, a game-high 12 shot attempts, a game-best plus-minus rating of plus three, and four hits. Ovechkin's first goal was an even-strength goal, 139 into the third period, came on a rebound snapshot from the low slot off a sharp angle shot by defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Ovechkin's second goal was an even-strength goal, 943 into the third period, came on another snapshot from the low slot, this time off a great pass by Nicholas Backstrom from not far from the left corner. Ovechkin, through games on Saturday, was tied for number one in the NHL this season with 29 goals and was tied for number one in the NHL this season in points at 58. And Ovechkin's two goals on Saturday night gave him 759 career regular season NHL goals, moving him to within seven of tying an X cap, Yarmir Yager, for the 
third most regular season goals in NHL history. And then we have the second greatest player in Caps history, Nicholas Backstrom. Backstrom on Saturday night scored the game-winning goal. He scored the game-winning even-strength goal, 113 into overtime on a beautiful backhanded breakaway shot off a takeaway by Backstrom in the Caps' offensive zone. The goal was Backstrom's second goal in as many games off him having not scored any goals over his first seven games of the season. Remember, Backstrom has missed a ton of time this season due to a hip and the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Uh, Backstrom also had that primary assist on the Alex Ovechkin game-tying even-strength goal 943 into the third period. And Backstrom went 11-4 and on face-offs. He did commit a first-period holding penalty, but whatever. Backstrom looked really good on Saturday night. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on Backstrom. Well, I think everybody knows what he brings to the table and what he brings to the lineup, but it's it's really nice to see him, you know, have a big moment like that after a, a long, you know, five months, four or five months where, you know, it's a lot of days where you're, you're trying to get back to where you want to be. And um, I think he's looked better every game, but it's nice for him to have that moment and end that game a big moment and um, score a big goal for us. Yeah, it would appear as if Nicholas Backstrom is rounding into form. So the Caps in this 3-2 overtime win over the Senators at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night won the puck possession battle. The Caps per natural stat trick had 56 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Senators' 48, and the Caps had 33 shots on goal to the Senators' 22. And the Caps held the Senators to just 22 shots on goal, despite being without three key defensemen in John Carlson, Dimitri Orloff, and Nick Jensen. Uh, the Caps' six defensemen for this game were Martin Fehervari, Justin Schultz, Michael Kempney, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Dennis Chalowski, and Matt Irwin. Uh, not exactly a bunch of star defensemen right there, but those six guys all did nice jobs on Saturday night. Here was LaViolette during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on the overall performance of his defensemen. I thought that I thought the D men that jumped in there tonight, you know, missing three D and three three big defensemen that take down a lot of minutes and two offensive guys, all all play good defense, but two offensive guys and gents who we count on for so much. I thought that the three guys that went in there played excellent. The shot, the the shots were low tonight, and the um, quality scoring chances were really low. I thought our defense did a terrific job, and so hats off to those guys for jumping in the lineup. And yeah, no doubt. What you saw from Cavs defensemen on Saturday night was yet another instance this Cavs season of guys emerging, guys stepping up, if you will, in the absences of other players. This has been a real theme for the Cavs this season. They've done well despite missing so many guys due to injury and COVID-19 protocol. And here we are, and the Cavs continue to find ways to win, and the Cavs again found a way to win on Saturday night. Uh, Vitek Vanacek on Saturday night was the Caps starting goaltender for a third consecutive game. He stopped 20 of the 22 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vitek Bernatural Statrick stopped five of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped all five of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped eight of the nine low danger shots on goal that he faced. One more thing on the Caps. So they won this game on Saturday night off a 4-3 loss at the Bruins last Thursday night. The Caps now haven't had two consecutive regular season regulation losses over 59 consecutive regular season games. That's a streak that began on April 9th, 2021, and is the third longest such streak in franchise history. Pretty impressive.
All right, let's talk some college basketball right now before we call it a show. Big win for Maryland on Friday night, but losses for Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech on Saturday. Maryland improved to 10-9 overall and 2-6 in the Big Ten with an 81-65 win over number 17 Illinois at Xfinity Center in College Park on Friday night. The Terrapins in the second half trailed by six points at 48-42, but then ended the game on a 39-17 run. Now, before we go any further, uh, we must acknowledge this. Illinois was without its best player and really one of the best players in the country, certainly among the best big men in the country, in the seven-foot-tall, 285-pound Jamaican behemoth Kofi Cockburn. Uh, He did not play in this game due to being in concussion protocol. Kofi Cockburn is a monster. Uh, He and the Terps' first game against Illinois this season, a 76-64 loss at Illinois on January 6th, destroyed the Terps. Cockburn in that game in just 28 minutes as a starter, 9-12 from the field, all twos, finished with 23 points and 18 rebounds, including seven offensive board. So yes, it's nice that the Terps won on Friday night. Beggars cannot be choosers, and the Terps this season are beggars when it comes to winning games in the Big Ten, but the circumstances of this game matter a lot. Uh, No Kofi Cockburn for Illinois was a big deal. I mean, consider this. The Terps in the game went 4 of 11 on threes, 24 of 42 on twos, ended up outscoring Illinois in the paint 40-16. Ain't no way that the Terps would have outscored Illinois in the paint 40-16 had Kofi Cockburn been playing. But the Terps did do things well in this game. The Terps held Illinois to just 11-35 on threes. Now, the Terps allowed Alfonso Plummer to go 5-11 of on threes, but the Terps held the rest of Illinois to just 6-24 of on threes. The Terps did a good job of getting to the free throw line and of defending without fouling. Terps went 21-25 on free throws. Illinois went 8-10 of on free throws. Uh, As for Maryland's lineup, so Terps interim head coach Danny Manning was back to starting the Rhode Island transfer. Point guard Fats Russell and Takeem Hardoff having had them come off the bench in the Terps' previous game, which was that 83-64 loss at Michigan last Tuesday night. But Manning for this win over Illinois had Dante Scott come off the bench, and Dante Scott ended up being great. Uh, Scott went 1-2 on threes, 8-10 on twos, 6-7 on free throws. He finished with 25 points and 6 rebounds in 34 minutes of playing time. What has become clear about Danny Manning is that he is into sending messages with his starting lineups. Friday night's game marked a third consecutive game in which Manning had at least one usual starter come off the bench. This was Manning during his postgame press conference on Friday night on having Dante Scott come off the bench on Friday night. Well, just across the board, it's it's our job as a staff to, to challenge our guys to, to not only do well off the court, as well as on the court. And it's just a, we want you to do better. We expect better across the board in a lot of different areas from a lot of different guys. And, um, you know, you've seen different lineup changes, and that's been the thought process from everybody, just challenging everyone to give us a little bit more. And, um, you know, Dante responded and um, gave us a, a really, really good game to Yes, he did. Now, the first usual Maryland starter who got benched by Danny Manning was the Georgetown transfer, six foot eleven. Kudis Wahab, Manning for the 70-59 loss to Rutgers at Xfinity Center in College Park on January 15th, had Wahab come off the bench. Wahab has been back to starting over the Terps' last two games. He in this win over Illinois did play for just 16 minutes as a starter, but he went 5-7 from the field, finished with 11 points and four rebounds, including three 
offensive boards, though he also had no assists versus two turnovers, but 11 points and four rebounds, including three offensive rebounds in 16 minutes of playing time, is actually pretty good. Uh, also in this win over Illinois at Xfinity Center in College Park on Friday night, Fats Russell 0 2 on threes, but 6 of 11 on twos. He finished with 15 points, seven rebounds, and three steals. He did have one assist versus three turnovers. Hakeem Hart went 0 1 on threes, 2 of 3 on twos, 6 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 10 points, three assists versus no turnovers, and four steals in 34 minutes as a starter. And the Terps won on Friday night despite Eric Ayala scoring just nine points. In 29 minutes as a starter, Ayala went one of three on threes and three of seven on twos. Next up for Maryland at Rutgers, Tuesday night at eight. So the Terps now are two and six in the Big Ten, and Georgetown now is 0 and 5 in the Big East for the first time ever. Yes, the Hoyas are off to their worst start ever in Big East play. When's the last time that both Maryland and Georgetown were this bad? In a season, Georgetown fell to six and ten overall, and zero and five in the Big East with an 85-74 loss to number 11 Villanova at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. The Hoyas, more than three minutes into the second half, led by eight points at 47-39, but the Hoyas then allowed Villanova to end the game on a 46-27 run. The Hoyas were the healthiest that they had been in a while. I mean, the only player who the team was missing was freshman Jordan Riley. Uh, Georgetown on December 15th announced that Riley was out indefinitely due to a shoulder injury, but otherwise the Hoyas have their horses. Uh, Those horses just can only do so much. Uh, Georgetown's defense again was a major problem. The Hoyas allowed Villanova to go 9-23 on threes. The Hoyas allowed Villanova to go 21 of 33 on twos and got outscored in the paint 42-28. The Hoyas allowed Colin Gillespie, who has been at Villanova for like 15 years now, uh, to go 6 of 9 on threes and finish with 28 points. Georgetown, as of games through Saturday, was a mere 251st out of 358 men's basketball teams in Division I in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Out of the 358 men's basketball teams in Division I, Georgetown through Saturday was 251st in adjusted defensive efficiency. Not good. Uh, Now, I mentioned Georgetown having problems with Villanova's Colin Gillespie. Uh, The Hoyas' Colin played well as well. Uh, Colin Holloway, in 36 minutes as a starter on Saturday afternoon, 2 of 3 on 3, 7 of 7 on 2s, 5 of 6 on free throws. He finished with a career-high 25 points, a career-high 5 assists versus 1 turnover, and 3 rebounds. It was great to see this. Colin Holloway had been really bad in each of Georgetown's Previous two games, Holloway in the 88-69 loss at St. John's on January 16th had no assists versus six turnovers in just 18 minutes as a starter. Holloway in the 83-75 loss at number 21 Providence last Thursday evening went just 1-3 on threes, 0-6 on twos in 26 minutes as a starter, but he was terrific offensively. On Saturday afternoon, point guard Dante Harris was productive offensively as well. 3 of 7 on threes, 2 of 5 on twos. He finished with 17.6 rebounds and 2 assists versus 1 turnover in 37 minutes as a starter. The 6 by 5 star freshman Amino Muhammad, 0 of 2 on threes, but 4 of 7 on twos, 5 of 5 on free throws. He finished with 13 points, 5 rebounds, including 4 offensive boards and 2 steals 
in 35 minutes as a starter. He did have two assists versus three turnovers. So Georgetown did have guys who did well offensively on Saturday afternoon. But as mentioned, the Hoyas' defense again was bad. And the Hoyas did have some guys who struggled offensively. Donald Carey went just one of six on threes and three of eight on twos in 38 minutes as a starter. Though he did finish with 11 points and seven assists versus two turnovers. Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, uh, just two of six on threes in 21 minutes off the bench. Next up for Georgetown at number 25, UConn, Tuesday night at 8.30. So the Hoyas defense continues to be bad, and believe it or not, Virginia's defense continues to be bad. What has happened to the pack line defense? What has happened to Wahoo uh, Virginia fell to 11-8 and overall and 5-4 and in the ACC with a 77-63 loss at NC State on Saturday. It's not that Virginia's record is that bad. I mean, you know, 11-8 and overall isn't uh, great, but it's also not awful. But it's that Virginia's defense is bad. The number one reason for Virginia's loss at NC State on Saturday, without question, was the Cavaliers' defense. The 77 points were the most that the Cavs have allowed in a game this season. The Cavs allowed NC State to go 12 of 22 on threes. The Cavs allowed NC State to go 18 of 28 on twos. The Cavs got outscored in the paint 34-16. And the Cavs allowed two of NC State's best players, Jericho Hellams and Terquavion Smith, to go a combined 9 of 16 on threes and to combine for 41 points. Going back to that KenPalm.com metric, adjusted defensive efficiency, Virginia, as of games through Saturday, a mere 94th out of 358 men's basketball teams in Division I in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. UVA has no business being 94th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. This is not the UVA program that we have come to know under head coach Tony Bennett in terms of defense. In fact, here was Bennett during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday. You know, it, some of their shots were really tough, contested, fallaways. They hit them. But then when they hit a couple of those, you know, there's too many in that first half where, okay, we knew that and we, we gave them a little too much space. I mean, press up into them, make them put it on the floor, make the shot even harder. The one at the end of the half and a few of those you live with. So that did concern me. And we ran some good stretches of offense, certainly in the first half. Um, but some of our, I, I think what cost us Jeff at times was being unsound offensively. Some of our turnovers, just loose, empty possession there. They capitalize on it. And then, you know, the second half, they didn't shoot it as well, but then some of our, just some of our being a little unaware or, uh, unalert defensively and to, to let them get going. Um, that puts too much pressure. Our defense, we're not going to win too many games if our defense is below average for large stretches. And I thought it was partly due to them. They're quick. They run good stuff. They've got playmakers. And, uh, but we, we've got to be really on point with that. And that, um, that hurt us. Yes, it did. Now, the Wahoos in this loss at NC State on Saturday did go 10-17 on threes. But the Hoos bizarrely went just 13-38 of 38 on twos. Virginia was much better on threes than it was on twos in this game. Uh, the 5-10 Senior point guard Kihei Clark, 2 of 3 on threes, but 0 of 4 on twos. The Indiana transfer, Armand Franklin, 4 of 7 on threes, but 0 of 3 on twos. Reese Beekman, 2 of 3 on threes, but 2 of 6 on twos. Uh, next up for Virginia, home to Louisville, Monday night at 7. And then there is Virginia Tech, which fell to 10 and 8 overall and 2 and 5 in the ACC with a 68 63 loss 
at Boston College on Saturday afternoon. You know, the Hokies had won two consecutive games off an 0-4 start in the ACC. This loss at Boston College, to me, really disappointing for the Hokies. Boston College came into the game just 7-9 overall and just 2-4 and in the ACC. I know that Virginia Tech isn't great this season, but this is an underwhelming Boston College team, and yet the Hokies lost at BC. The game was tied at 61 with less than four minutes left in the second half of the Hokies that allowed Boston College to end the game on a 7-2 run. Uh, Tech got demolished on the glass. Tech got out-rebounded by Boston College 38-23. Tech had just eight offensive rebounds to Boston College's 16, and thus just four second-chance points to Boston College's 10, and in a game decided by five points, that six-point differential in second-chance points loomed large. Also, the Hokies' shooting wasn't great. Hokies went 7 of 17 on threes, but missed four threes in the final minute of the game. Uh, the Hokies went to 16 of 36 on twos. Hokies did hold Boston College to just 412 on threes and 21 of 40 on twos. Two standouts for Tech were Keve Aluma and Hunter Couture. Keve Aluma went 1 of 2 on threes, 6 of 12 on twos, 6 of 6 on free throws, finished with 21 points, 8 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards and 3 assists versus 1 turnover in 32 minutes as a starter. Hunter Couture, 4 of 5 on threes, 1 of 3 on twos. He finished with 14 points in 37 minutes as a starter. But the Hokies, like Maryland and Georgetown, uh, just not doing very well so far this season. And now comes a busy week for Virginia Tech at North Carolina, Monday night at 8, home to Miami, Wednesday night at 7, and then at Florida State, Saturday afternoon at 3. The Hokies are in the midst of playing four games in eight days. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 236, will feature much more on the NFL's divisional round weekend from a Washington football team perspective, including the Trent Williams conversation. Yes, our old pal, former Washington left tackle, Trent Williams. He is doing quite well with the San Francisco 49ers. He is now going to be playing in an NFC Championship game. I have a lot to say about Trent and how I feel about him as a Washington fan, given how he left Washington. I have to tell you, I'm a little annoyed at some people feeling all warm and fuzzy for Trent making an NFC Championship game. I'm not telling you to hate the guy. I don't hate the guy, but I sure as heck haven't forgotten how we left Washington. So we on Tuesday's show are going to have an honest, upfront, no-holds-barred conversation about Trent Williams. Also on Tuesday's show, a post-game games on Monday night for the Capitals, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. The Caps will host the Vegas Golden Knights Monday night at 7. Virginia will host Louisville Monday night at 7. And Virginia Tech will be at North Carolina Monday night at 8. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. In your life, have you seen anything like that? Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.